Welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non-profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us, the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, we meet Dr. Elizabeth Jens, a 2022 game changer for her work as a leading rocket scientist. I love speaking with Beth, from her determination to become an astronaut and then figuring out how to do that to her writing of a textbook on rocket design. If you were speaking, let's say, to a high school audience, how would you describe what you do and what your day-to-day looks like? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm a propulsion and systems engineer at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh, So each of the NASA centres focus on a different area. And the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is based in California, focuses on the robotic exploration of the solar system. So right now, I um, help lead a team uh, that's designing a propulsion system to land our largest ever spacecraft on the surface of Mars. And so what does that look like? Let's say a day in the life of Elizabeth Jens, what would that look like? Um, And or what might it look like? Noting, of course, every day is different. Yeah, so our missions, um, you know, they take many years to to build and design and test and then deliver, you know, eventually for launch. And and then there's the crews and landing on Mars and all that excitement. So it's very uh, sort of different depending on the phase of the mission that you're in. So right now we're in that early design phase where a lot of my time is split between orienting our team and ensuring that everyone has the knowledge and the tools that they need uh, so that they can go and perform, you know, sort of fundamental design that they need to perform uh, to show that our system is going to work. And then um, I'm also leading the analysis myself, so I try to get my hands dirty, <laughs> so to speak, with, with crunching the numbers and, um, and really stepping back and taking an independent assessment to make sure that that our team is presenting numbers that are real and that we can stand behind. And we also, in this phase, are looking at where we have big areas of risk and uncertainty and what testing we might be able to do. So there's also some parts of it that do involve hardware and um, physically putting things together, running running tests to ground our simulations and show that our system is going to work. So at JPL, uh, for these types of missions, for these really big missions, we're not building the rockets ourselves, but we are building the whole propulsion system. So we're speaking to vendors about the rockets that they have designed and taking a really deep dive uh, to make sure that it's going to work for our application. And then we're looking at the overall fluid feed system and, and whether it can deliver the input conditions to those engines to make sure that our overall system is going to land. So I think most folks are familiar with the sky crane, the... Um, pretty cool looking sort of rocket jetpack that hovered as we <laughs> approached Mars and then lowered um, the rover down to the surface of Mars. That was, you know, the most recent propulsion system that, um, that my group uh, built and designed. 
And so that's the type of system I'm talking about. There's individual rockets there, and we work with uh, US vendors to get those rockets. But then we're responsible for the overall system design, and, and we call it VMV, verifying and validating that that system is going to work. Um, and so every day right now, our design can change. <laughs> and uh, we're often performing a lot of trades, saying, OK, this option or this option, which makes more sense, which one should we pursue? And it's a little bit different from industry, where for these missions, we're really focused on the need to get it right, in that uh, as much as possible, there's, there's a lot of you know US dollars that go into these missions. And for our next campaign, it's going to be multinational effort with Europe contributing as well. And so we really need to make sure that, um, that we're investing responsibly. And, uh, and that means often uh, being much more uh, obsessed with getting those technical details right, with reducing the overall system risk. Um, so sorry, that was a really long-winded response. Uh, but, but in this early phase, yeah, it's, it's a lot of design, uh, number crunching, um, and really communicating, because we're bringing together hundreds of people uh, and who are all you know, experts in their own little areas, um, and we're trying to make sure that we're all speaking the same language and actually working on a design that's cohesive. And when things are changing a lot day to day, like they do in this phase of the mission, uh, communication becomes really key. Yeah, wow. No, that was um, incredible sort of uh, educational response for us and, and, and certainly understanding how those pieces work together and working with other vendors and which aspect of the program um, you're, you're involved with. That's really helpful to know. Um, when you think about what you were planning to do when you went into school and, and, and in your undergraduate was this something you always aspired to being part of? And what were some of those decision points along the way that got you here? So from a really, so I guess I just step way back. I grew up in Torquay, Australia, a long way away from the work that I do right now, except that there's a wonderful view of the night sky, right? Our Australian skies are just stunning. And so from a very early age, I used to look up at the stars and dream of helping us explore our solar system. That was something that I was really passionate about before I even knew what physics was or, you know, had real understanding of what was going to be involved to do the role that I do now. Um, and that, that dream of becoming an astronaut uh, led me to learn more about um, which NASA centers were doing what work. and. And then made me, you know, led me, <laughs> led me into this field of propulsion, so rockets, uh, which somewhat combined a love of fluid mechanics that I have, how fluids move, and and the physics behind that. Uh, and then this whole, you know, real passion for space exploration. And so I found myself um, pretty naturally fitting into this role of of a propulsion and now sort of systems engineer, where I'm I'm looking not just at the propulsion side, but but how we fit into the overall system design. And I love it. I love it. I still would love to go to space. Uh, at the first opportunity, I, I will be putting my hand up. Um, but that is a very long journey. And, and the path to being an astronaut involves a good dose of luck as well as talent and hard work. And so I have to say right now, I, I love the fact that I do feel like I'm contributing to our species' attempts to explore and, um, and that we're really trying to push the envelope. Um, and also that I get to learn. I get, to, I get paid to learn every day. And I just feel very grateful that that's a part of my job. Wow. You, um, you mentioned before the, 
some of the day-to-day challenges of making sure that you get it right, that you've got to think about the investment that's being made there and, um, and, and working to make sure it all works well together. Can you go into a bit more about what the day-to-day challenges are that you face and how you, and how you deal with that? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm going to start by saying actually one of the biggest challenges I encountered in my career was just just working out how to navigate the path from being a space enthusiast in Australia to getting my foot in the door in this industry. Um, and it was really hard because at the time Australia didn't have, uh, you know, we didn't have our space agency. We didn't really have a cohesive network of space enthusiasts. There were some, but it was pretty disparate. And, and that was, I think, the hardest part of this whole journey. Uh, now, I, I will definitely talk to the challenges that I face in my role because I think that's more specifically what you're looking for. But I think the biggest challenge, honestly, was taking those early steps uh, and having faith and confidence that this was going to work out when many people were telling me it was impossible. Um, and and I, <laughs> that sounds melodramatic, but, you know, it's really hard as a foreign national to work in the field of rockets in the US. Like there's a whole lot of barriers in the way there that that are real. And and I was just really lucky that I had other people trying to help me on this journey that, you know, when you go to someone and say you're really passionate, enthusiastic, and you're willing to work hard, that other people step up to the mark and really help you get there. Uh, So I I do want to say that as as a starting point. Um, And then more specifically, the day-to-day challenges now yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges with these big missions is that we have huge teams and we all need to be oriented towards a common goal. And that's not to underplay the technical challenges which come up every day, uh, but just to say that um, we always think about engineering as like the pointy end of you know science and real life coming together. But there's also this whole communication side that um, all of us tend to underplay, myself included. And yet, for our teams to operate successfully, we really need to make sure that we have clear communication. And so some of that is having good systems in place for how you're tracking changes and things. But a lot of it comes down to individuals being willing to communicate clearly, not just when they have an answer, but when they don't, um, which I think is more important. And I'll also say that um, I think over the course of the last two years of craziness, I realized personally that, you know, I'm responsible for a lot of numbers that, <laughs> that are getting used to inform a design. Just today, you know, I was helping size tanks and these are big parts of our spacecraft that, you know, if we get it wrong, it's stressful. And, and so the other personal challenge I've had to face is, um, is both having the humility when I'm not sure uh, of something to, to go to others and say, hey, can you take a second look at this? And then also to have the confidence to stand behind, you know, my own, <laughs> my own abilities when I need to and, um, and yeah, and, and, and be upfront and be willing to step into the role and say, this is what I have and, um, and I stand behind it. Wow. Well, I'm really pleased you shared that uh, point around the challenge of really um, paving a journey that is a bit different and, and with so many unknowns Can you speak a little to who or what the connectors were that that made it possible for you to conceive of the PhD in in Stanford and then to to embark on this journey of being a foreign national working where you do? So I absolutely can. The journey with my career path 
definitely involved some pretty big twists and turns that were necessitated by this whole, by the uncertainty. I'll start by saying that I was really lucky that I have a family that's very supportive of education and, um, and even though I came up with this idea that I think my parents thought was pretty far-fetched, that they were always uh, willing to support and encourage my enthusiasm. That said, my mum loves to remind me to stay grounded, which I think is her way of <laughs> saying she'd love me to pursue this career without actually going to space. Um, but I, I, yeah, I had a lot of a lot of periods of uncertainty. So you know, as as someone in high school, I um, went to my career counsellor and was like, "Okay, I want to be an astronaut. How do I get there?" <laughs> and their response was, "Well, couldn't you just choose something a bit easier?" And I'm. Just, I'm still not sure whether they meant for them or for me, um, but but I say that just to say that you know it was really hard to find uh, direction and and get um, get some mentorship in those early years. I, I flew to a conference in Adelaide where I, I didn't know anyone. I was in my first year of of undergrad, first year of uni, and um, and didn't have much cash. I actually used some money that that I'd gotten from uh, awards from my year 12 performance from my school and, and used that to go to this conference and thought that then I would meet these people and my journey would be assured and off I'd go and they'd tell me, oh, you interned with this group and off. And instead, I, you know, I realised that it's hard to go up to complete strangers as someone who was an 18-year-old and say, I want to be an astronaut, how do I get there? And it's hard for people to take you seriously when you don't really have you know, an academic resume that supports that yet. You're still in the very early phases. And I had help from really unexpected quarters. I had some amazing professors in undergrad, in my undergraduate years. Um, I had a professor at Melbourne University who took me on, even though I was saying I want to do space research and he didn't really do that. I had a professor at RMIT who mentored my final year project as well. And he allowed me to use the RMIT facilities and supported me to go to uh, um, well, emotionally supported, helped me, encouraged me to go to uh, the International Astronautical Congress, which was the largest space conference in the world. Uh, but that year was in Scotland. And so then I was lucky enough to have the support of my local um, Lions Club in Torquay that helped fund me to go to that conference. And later, after I finished um, uh, those undergraduate degrees, and was trying to work out, okay, how do I get to, to space and how do I do this? And I actually, I got into Stanford, uh, which, you know, felt like a really long shot. I remember thinking at the time, I'm going to apply to these universities, but I don't know anyone who's been to them. I don't really know the process. Uh, but all I really need is one yes. And so <laughs> I applied to a group of universities that I thought would be a good fit um, and then realised that a lot of these universities had scholarships that closed, the applications closed before you apply, you're meant to do, I did the wrong order and um, and honestly at the time I was trying to save money and I was working in the Torquay sushi shop and my boss in the sushi shop caught me crying one day because I had just discovered that university is expensive in the States and uh, and she was like, well it just so happens my dad's involved with the local Rotary Club in Geelong and I think they've been saving for a scholarship, why don't we talk to them? And from there, that led to getting the Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship, and that actually bought me a bit of extra time. Stanford allowed me to defer my start date, which allowed me to apply for the Fulbright Scholarship, and um, and that got me on the way. Then I got to the US, and I was told, no, no, you can't work at these NASA centers as a foreign national. 
But I submitted a resume in person anyway because you couldn't do it through the electronic systems. I had to go and find people out in person. And that just started the whole path. So I'm sorry, that was a very long answer. But there were just so many random people that helped. Um, and I could never have foreseen that working in a sushi shop would, you know, give me that first real step to the US that I needed. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. No, I love every aspect of that and how um, serendipitous, but also how kind of that um, bullishness of just wanting to do it and therefore kind of it figures itself out. But um, yeah, and, it, and it's really courageous and bold to do that without knowing what that path will be. What motivates you? It must be obviously the, the big goal, but in your day-to-day -day where you're facing the, those big teams and that possibility of getting things wrong, how do you how do you stay focused and grounded on on what your what your role is and and motivating you every day? So the bigger picture motivator for me is the same as it's always been. I just really love being part of a team that's helping us to explore space. And there's bigger parts of that, right? I'm also really passionate about our planet and I'm passionate about what we might be able to learn to help us here on Earth. And so I feel like underlying my day-to-day -day motivation is this bigger picture excitement that, that I really do believe strongly in what we're trying to do at JPL. Uh, and I believe in the team members that I work with. And I think a lot of us are really enthusiastic about the type of work we do. And that helps motivate you when things get hard or when you're told that a whole lot of work that you've just done, we've made a change in our you know, design and we have to redo it all from scratch. I think it helps that, you know, I really do believe in what we're trying to do as an organisation and I believe in the skill set of my teammates um, and so I trust their decision making as well and that we're all, you know, working to make the right decisions, not just for us as individuals but, you know, for, for this whole effort and ultimately for what we're trying to do as a species. Um, I do think day to day, it just, when you love your work and, and I am lucky in that, Yes, we all have mundane parts of our job that can be demotivating. But for the most part, I love what I'm doing each day and I love that it's varied. I love that, you know, if I'm getting sick of crunching numbers, I can step in and say, right, I want to help, you know, do some hardware. Let's go do some testing. And I'm in a position right now where I've just had years of doing a lot of hardware, so I'm actually enjoying stepping back and saying, right, I'm going to lead this analysis and let's get this team going. Um, and take on a bit more of the of the people side of things, of, of working on the team leadership. Um, uh, so I, I love the diversity of what I do, and I think that helps me stay motivated day to day. Um, but I also just feel very grateful that I'm doing a job fundamentally that I enjoy, and I, I think that makes everything easier. <laughs> yeah, wow, and it sounds like an incredible team uh, that you work with there and um, must be just really uplifting. Um, with uh, this category of emerging leader, I, um, it is um, certainly one that we're so excited to um, share the finalists with um, with Australia and, and just such an inspiring um, group of individuals. But also we know that you know, we ain't seen nothing yet. Like this is you're you're on your you're on your journey and um, there's going there's lots more to come. What does it mean to you to be recognised uh, through these Global Australian Awards and 
what do you hope to how, how do you hope to leverage it um, to in your future career? Well, I have to start by saying it's a huge honour uh, to be a finalist. I, um, as an Australian who's working overseas, and, and yes, I'm not in Australia, but I love Australia. I left Australia not because I wanted to leave my country, but because I was just really passionate about the field that I work in. And so I've always been grateful to Advance uh, in their role in helping us feel a little bit more connected. I think even more so in the last two years. You know, I, I'm on those monthly uh, Born Global emails and and um, and so I think because I've been aware of Advance and the role it plays, it, it makes it even more wonderful now to be nominated. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity, honestly. I'm excited to see who else uh, are finalists. I, I've seen previously that some other Australian colleagues that I know at JPL, um, like Abigail Orwood, who is just this amazing role model, uh, as well as just a wonderful human, uh, have been have won this award previously and so um, yeah I'm really grateful to be included in that cohort of people um, and in terms of where this goes next you know <laughs> I think all of us can say that our careers always take unexpected twists and turns. I'm really focused right now on the fact that aside from work I'm, I'm completing a textbook uh, which was one of the more dubious decisions I've made in my life to get involved in that because it is so many hours of work uh, for, for ultimately what will be a book on a bookshelf that I hope a few people might read one day. Um, and so I just, I don't know where, you know, the next five to ten years take me, but I will say that I'm really excited by the direction that the Australian space industry is going and I speak to colleagues who've gone back there and I, I hope that I'm going to have the chance to collaborate with Australians in the future. Um, as we all work now together to explore space. So, um, you know, I see this as just just one more stepping stone to, to more opportunities and hopefully more opportunities to collaborate with like-minded Australians. Oh, that's fantastic. What What's the topic of the textbook that you're working on? <laughs> it's, oh, it's going to be a thrilling read. Get ready for it. Um, it's, it's a hybrid rocket design handbook. So it's a design handbook focused on a certain type of rocket that I had uh, focused on in my PhD work and then uh, in my initial years at JPL. Um, and so, so that rocket is pretty popular, especially among a lot of universities and some of the commercial crowd. And um, But historically, it wasn't as well researched. So we're, we're trying to bring together a lot of disparate research to, to help um, help bring that that technical community um, together on an approach that, that can be used for designing those systems. Wow. Well, it does sound like a thrilling read. Um, uh, get ready. <laughs> <Please. laughs> it's going to be a bestseller. And by bestseller, I mean me and a few other people who work on these projects. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, well uh, just a sort of final question, and you must be asked this a lot, but um, for people early in their career, whether they're in high school or maybe university and they see what you've done, what advice would you have for them on, on pursuing their dreams like you have? I think the biggest piece of advice I'd give uh, to anyone who's interested in this field or who's interested in a different field, but, you know, one that doesn't really have a, a clear defined path to, to get into it is just to pursue your passion and um, and accept that there's going to be closed doors and no's on the way and that all that really matters is a single yes. You just need 
you need to have uh, the resilience to take all those no's, but know that you're working towards that yes and, and keep pursuing that dream. And I think also with that is also being honest to those around you. Um, it's hard for others to help you pursue a career path if they don't even know what path you want to take. Uh, and so I think um, speaking up about that passion and then following it is really key. And also being aware that for space exploration, we don't just need engineers like I am, and we don't just need scientists um, like, you, like you often see portrayed, but, but in space we need all sorts of explorers and doctors and artists and writers and business people. Uh, and, and there's honestly, you know, a whole breadth of skill sets that come in and support these, these types of missions and, and organizations like, like JPL where I work or, or the Australian Space Agency. Um, domestically. So I just, I just think, yeah, it's worth pursuing the passion. If it turns out that you love space, but hey, you actually don't really love math or engineering is not a good fit, then look at other ways that you can contribute um, because there's bound to be one. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more on global Australian game changes over the last decade, please go to our website, advance.org.